0: Hello, hi John. Hey Dan Benjamin, how are you? Shamalama. <laughs> I noticed Dan that you did not do your conceit of saying hello from across the room and then running over. You just said it normally and uh, and gently. Well, I thought I thought it might be okay. I thought it might be okay to try it that way again. It was great. It was great. Okay. It was perfect. Good. You were, you were just like hello, John, and it just felt like a normal. A normal moment with a normal person, yeah
1: well we all yeah, we all have facades that we wear from time to time hmm. Norm- normalcy will be mine for this episode.
0: Oh, great <laughs> oh, awesome, welcome
1: <laughs> you're you're welcoming me to normalcy,
0: yeah <laughs>
1: well, it's good to be here.
0: yeah, I'm the Duke of normalcy <laughs> yes, here I am, oh, oh yeah, big stretch, nice. Just, just wake, what normal people do. Just waking up. <laughs> just waking up. I uh, just I'm just waking up. I got a uh, let's see what happened this morning. I got some texts. I got a I got an alert. I got uh, a phone call. It all happened really fast. And now I'm doing a show with you. Now so you're
1: it, doing a show. I mean, it's a complete day.
0: I splashed some water on my face. I've got some <laughs> coffee. I'm ready.
1: Do you have a beard or a mustache right now?
0: Um, I feel we have to check in. Well, I, I, I felt and and accurately that the mustache with the clean, shaven face was not appealing to anyone. My daughter, whenever I asked her, she she, she, she has no trouble speaking truth to power. <laughs> and I said... You know, do you like daddy's face like this? And she always said yes. She was always fine with it. She always seemed pleased by it. Mm -hmm. So that made me feel like, oh, it's not that bad. My kid likes it. But most people, I don't think, were responding to it. And How How could you tell? Or responding to it, I think they were responding to it like, yeah, that's fine. Or like, yeah, it's great. Or, you know, it's very much like because as I've, I've described when I shave my beard a lot of times people don't notice and then when I grow it back they also don't notice so mm. some, you know it's it is a dr- it's not a dramatic change on me it's a dramatic change on some people so I shaved it for a couple of weeks you know but it's so much work to get up and shave it every day and so then I forgot to do it for 3 days in a row and then it was going to be an ordeal to shave mm-hmm. and now it's been yeah, you know, seven eight days and it's basically back to looking like a full beard it's not i could keep it at this length for the rest of my life and no one would ever even describe it as as trimmed they would just right. say oh yeah he's got a beard so uh, anyway long story short i'm back probably to having a beard
1: i'll keep it trimmed though oh yeah you won't you won't do more of a full look uh, what about in the winter time you don't like to uh let it go a little in the winter time for extra warmth
0: maybe a little bit i don't uh the the with every centimeter that my beard grows it ages me 10 years <laughs> every centimeter so, you know if i have a old if i have a long long beard i look like father time like i look like fat father time okay so I need to keep it trimmed just because I do have vanity as, has been amply recorded on this and other podcasts. Yes. I am a man with a tremendous amount of at least awareness of his vanity. And, um, and, and just lately it's never been a problem before. I never ever felt that being old was something that i needed to be conscious of but every single person i know now is complaining that their glasses don't work anymore like all my people are getting old too yeah of course right like you go to a party now and it's hilarious but you go to a, i go to a party now and it's just like the conversation just turns immediately to i can't see i can't see to read i can't read this menu and it's just like, oh, my god, we're all so sad and I look around at my friends and they're all still beautiful. Yeah. But their eyes have stopped working. Yeah, that's what happens. On mass. And a lot of us because we're nebbishes, we were already myopic. Right? Like you know, Sean Nelson and right. Hodgman, and these right. guys couldn't they've never been able to see. Right. But now even my normal friends can't see.
1: Yeah, that's the interesting thing is that people like us who've worn glasses for a long time, in my case, since I was probably, I mean, I think I got my first pair when I was 10 and I started wearing them because Heather said I look cute in them when I was 15. Yeah. So if she thought I look cute in them, fine, I'll wear glasses. Sure. Uh, but, you know, now we're seeing people who have been free of any kind of glasses now needing them or complaining
0: that they they can't, they can't function without them. No, it's terrifying. And, and so the long beard, Dan, it just puts me in this category of like, well, I don't give a fuck anymore. Mm -hmm. Old, you know, I'm friends with a lot of people who are younger than I am. That's just sort of in the nature of my, my life, right there. I do have a lot of friends that are my age and older. I have a lot of friends right now that are turning fifty because mm. I was always I was always one year younger than my peers because I you know I graduated from high school when I was seventeen. I started kindergarten right. when I was four, and so I always had the majority of my friends were a year older. And so f- this fifty-year-old, um, sort of landmark has been happening to my friends all year now i'm turning 49 in right. about two weeks Ooh. but you know lane staley was just that he had just had his 50th anniversary birthday and, and just all my all my pals all my partners are 50 uh but then i have this whole other group of really close friends who are like 42 ish mm-hmm. who are the rock My rock peers, right? The, the people that I, because I got, I was a late bloomer in rock and roll. And when I was 30, I was sort of beginning my career and the peer bands that were also beginning their careers, they were all 22, 23, right? I mean, we were starting this life that we called indie rock or this style of music that was ended up being called indie rock. But I was a lot older than everybody else. Well, not everybody else, but, you know, than then a lot of this gang. <clears throat> so they're all 42 and they're starting to have kids because I had kids when I was 42. Mm-hmm. Seems like it's the new age to yeah. have kids. Yeah, oh, definitely. 42, 42 instead of 26 or whatever it should be if, if you were listening to God. And then I have a whole group of friends that are 33, 32 to 35, 32 to 36, let's say. I don't have a single friend that's 39. Uh, And so the different, you know, within those different groups of friends, I mean, I'm basically like the 35-year-olds can't help but see me as like – ancient oh yeah the 42 year olds also think of me as like older brother slash creepy uncle almost uncle yes but my own friends my own not all those people are my friends but my own peers the people that i came up with that are my own age these are the ones where when i show up and i look the oldest of them hmm Because this guy is still racing bicycles, and this guy, (laughs) for whatever reason, his hair hasn't gone gray, and and uh, you know, like when they all look young and fit and cool, and I'm and I slop in, sort of looking like, um, you know, like Walt Whitman. (laughs) That's when I really feel like I gotta, you know, I gotta do something. I gotta up my game a little bit here i I'm not racing bicycles. I don't have that preternatural youthfulness. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I look pretty battered. I don't know, Dan, we have done enough time on this podcast talking about my vanity. Mm. I don't want to do it. Anymore. It's embarrassing. I don't live. I don't live in a material world, Dan. I live in a spiritual world. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I live in a place where the, the material, uh, Things just uh, just just wash over me like a like a wave of nothing. Yeah, sure. Like a literal wave of nothing, right over you. Yeah, it's just poof. It's just the, that's exactly the sound that a wave of nothing makes. It makes a sound like poof, <laughs> <a> poof wave. <laughs> so I'm not sitting around worrying about this instead of bigger issues, instead of big problems, not even problems. Just the big the the be here nowness of everything. Right, sure. You know, the spirit of the grass.
1: Mm. Yeah. yeah. Can you spirit.
0: read a menu? No. No, I can't see a goddamn thing. Yeah. I can't see. I put the computer in front of me. I can't see it. I can't see it when I put it up close to my face. I can't see it when I hold it far away. No, it's terrible. And that's not, I mean, that's not vanity. That's just embarrassing. Yeah, it's know. just, It's just, it's just, like,
1: inconvenient. Have you ever tried... Uh, progressive lenses or bifocal
0: Tried progressive lenses i didn't understand them i couldn't either i I have a friend who's making me some bifocals uh and i feel like that's just you know i it's a lot better than what my dad did which was pair of glasses on his eyes Mm -hmm. pair of glasses around his neck (laughs) pair of glasses on top of his head
1: (laughs) just for any situation that could occur he's ready
0: Yep. Three pairs of glasses at all times. And I have some pictures of him in his airplane where he had his reading glasses on to see the instruments, his regular glasses on to see, you know, in the the distance and then a pair of sunglasses over the top of it uh, because it were in an airplane and it was it was bright and sunny. I took a picture. I knew that was ridiculous enough when I was 11 years old to make sure I got a picture of it. Mm-hmm but you know but now here i am yeah i'm li- living that same life the first
1: person that i knew that had to do the you know pull the thing far from your face oh, yeah. to read it thing was actually uh, was actually merlin huh and i i thought it was the funniest thing in the whole world that this person who is only a few years older than me was struggling to do even the most basic basic things It is hilarious. And after just a couple months after that, I started to pull something just a little, a little further away Mm -hmm. It never occurred to me. And then,
0: yeah,
1: you know, and, and so now I've got to do the thing where I'm not just pulling things away a little bit, but I've got to lift my glasses up off my nose, look under them or over them and pull the thing away.
0: That doesn't work either. It's just that God doesn't want you to see things, and He doesn't <laughs> yeah. want me to see things either.
1: At at this age, I suppose we're wise enough uh, that little details shouldn't concern us anymore. That's <laughs> that's that's the universe's way of saying don't don't worry of don't sweat the small stuff. That's where that expression comes from because you can't don't see it anymore.
0: Sweat the small stuff. Yeah, I feel like one of the most for me pernicious sort of uh, concepts that science fiction has brought to the world is the idea of um, not just not not uh, not bionic augmentation although that certainly was the first inkling of it I had mm-hmm. but now you know biomechanical or or biological gene manipulating, uh, technologies that will uh, that will cure you mm-hmm. right like science fiction brings all these ideas of of uh, sex robots and interstellar travel and being able to live on a space station with a greenhouse that produces milkshakes or whatever it is that science fiction gives us all these sort of visions of technology creating uh, the fun landscapes hovercrafts Segways you know re- readily available segways would be a, you know a, an impossible future to conceive but but the thing that got into my heart at some point some point between the between Steve Austin the bionic man and that scene in um, Return of the Jedi yeah where Luke has lost his hand right, and, and he, they're and putting it, the new one on and it, it's yeah, fingers are twitching 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 fingers yeah. Somewhere in there, I got it in my head as so many of us did. Oh, well, there are lots of injuries that in the future will be repairable. And so it's not that big of a deal because you'll get repaired. And then that's that's been a kind of running theme, it's small but running theme throughout sci-fi ever since – Ever since that time, you know, that if, that if you're one of the X-Men, you have a, and you have some power that's also a little bit of a disability, there's a way to, to channel it or, I mean, in some cases you just have to wear gloves, but in other cases you have a, a miracle wheelchair or, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? There's a, there is a technology that can, that can solve this problem. And so I have this long, long standing daydream where I imagine that there is some, um, because before Luke got his, his, uh, special hand, remember he was in, he was suspended floating in that tub of bubbling yellow water. Right. Right. He was in a, some kind of suspension tank. And I've, I've just I've j- Dave dreamed for so long about a kind of uh, MRI or CAT scanner that goes from the top to the bottom of me and just just puts a little check mark next to every single bit of injury and decay and virus and tapeworm or whatever just as it right. goes down and it's just like <laughs> nope 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 and then it has a technology to repair those things not just surgical like stitching back together but actually at the genetic level at the at the at the basic level the sort of like ridding the body of free radicals and right. and restoring the tissue and you know because i have a i have a bad knee that i've had since i was 20 and it's plagued me since i was 22 and in, injured it badly and it's always been bad i haven't been able i have not really run more than about three blocks since I was 22 because Mm -hmm. my knees just bit damaged. And, you know, I got my teeth knocked out also when I was 22. It was a, well, no, wait a minute. I was 20, I guess. So 20, I got my teeth knocked out 22. I busted my knee. Um, I did a lot of damage in the early years and I smoked a pack of cigarettes a day for, 15 years. I did a lot of drugs and alcohol. Obviously that's long in my past, but I also don't, I still don't eat well or exercise. And I, so I just have this scanner notion that this thing's going to go down and it's just going to go and all these, all these problems will just be erased.
1: Now, would it, would it repair you in like a Star Trek kind of a way? Just like as it's scanning down, it's mm -hmm. repairing all the things that it finds.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: So at the end of it, would you be 15 years younger essentially or would you just be – anything that was wrong would be repaired?
0: Anything that's wrong would be repaired and I guess probably by virtue of taking away decaying cells and replacing them with fresh new cells, uh, it would give the appearance at least to being 15 years younger. You could probably go through this process a few times and extend your life quite considerably. Because I'm
1: thinking at some point you're just going to want – a complete replacement body with just your consciousness in it.
0: Well, and that also seems like sure, maybe somewhere down the road, but but this this is an intermediate step that I would I would accept happily without a yeah, yeah. plane. But it's it's one of these terrible things about science fiction, right? That from the very dawn of science fiction, it 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 gives us this tantalizing look at something that won't happen in our lifetimes or maybe ever but once it's in your head you can't escape it you can't escape the idea of wanting to be one of the mars colonists even though you're not going to be one or i mean think of all the people who have who lived their entire lives thinking that by the year 2020 there would be some we would be in the future yeah and then they have since died before arriving at 2020, but but close enough to it that they realized that we won't be in the future by then. We should have been there by 2000. We're still not there. Yeah, we're not nowhere near being all.
1: in the future at
0: all. And so, <clears throat> so for me, I'm going to spend my whole life creaking along, like gradually, just like all of us, getting beaten down by the sun and there's going to be little things like i'm taking <clears throat> what nac and <clears throat> excuse me nad nac and nad now which are supposedly going in and making my cells fat and and fluffy or plump whatever a cell i guess would be a healthy cell would be plump rather than fluffy mm Plumping up my cells like you would plump up a hotel pillow, <laughs> uh, but this this great you know just it's That's like the
1: antioxidant stuff that you're talking about, right? Something like that, okay. yeah. Uh,
0: you know that drug Elysium, yes. Uh, That's ninety different Nobel laureates all signed on to promote, and then all you have to do is look at it on the internet for one second, and it's like, oh well, the main. Ingredient of Elysium is just this stuff NAC I think. Yeah. And there's only one company in the world that manufactures it and it's available under the name under NAC from about 50 different companies packaging it. And Elysium is like $99 a month and you can get it for $30 a month. So I decided to do that because you know 90 Ninety hundred Nobel laureates all agree, Mm -hmm. even though it's clear that, you know, most of them are were sitting in their office and someone came in and said, we'll give you ten thousand dollars if you say you like this. Have you noticed any improvements or changes? Well.
1: Because I understand uh, it's supposed to uh, increase uh, baseline in in whole blood.
0: mm. By an average of 40 percent at four weeks. Hmm. I'm not sure if I would notice a increase in the baseline of my whole blood. Nah. I read a, I read an interesting article the other day. A, a, a woman decided that she was going to take the um, performance-enhancing drug that uh, Maria Shapova, Shep, the tennis player. Sharapova. Sharapova, Sharapova. She was banned from tennis for taking this illicit – latvian uh you know blood constricting drug Mm. banned from tennis for two years so this woman who was writing a magazine article was like you know i play tennis and at the amateur level this drug isn't banned so i'm gonna take it and see what it does and she took it and took it for a couple of weeks and played a tennis match in it with it and she said i didn't really feel a a performance enhancement exactly like i didn't feel like i played that much better the difference was that at the end i had no aches and pains i had i had no recovery time i just felt amazing and then the next day i felt amazing um it didn't make me like faster it just made me uh it just improved my my return right i was like interesting right that's not a thing like so for instance if i'm taking this nac uh, and it's doing something it's going to be i think at a level that is for me at least who's not monitoring my aches and pains really carefully right it's going to be an improvement i'm not sure i could i could identify but i do take it every day because i guess when you as you're asking me to think about it, it may even be the placebo effect, but I do feel a kind of comprehensive uh, bodily wellness. Hmm. Not just as a result of taking that, but so w- once I realized that I had to take this pill every day uh, for my uh, for my mental stability. I said, you know, I've always wanted to be one of these people that takes a bunch of vitamins. Now I've got to take one pill every day. Why not make make it a big pile of pills? Yeah, and once so you're I, already doing one,
1: what's another one or another three?
0: Yeah, so now I take like 15 pills a day. I take a vitamin D. I take a vitamin – I take a B. Take any zinc? Uh, th- you maybe get on I, the zinc. Get on zinc. Got to get some zinc. What uh-huh. is zinc going to do for me? You need that as a man. I need I need zinc. All yeah. right, I'm going to go find some zinc now. You know, like I do this. I take a baby aspirin because my dad always said, "If I could have known, you just took one baby aspirin." <laughs> you mentioned that you take uh, aspirin. Yeah, so I take a baby aspirin. I take um, I don't know a bunch of oh I take some um, I take some more quack stuff, which is. Uh, there's this pill that's like cartilage rebuilding, or it might just be made out of bone chalk. It might just be a pill of ground up cow bones. I don't know. And it's, (laughs) and it's one that says like, this product has not been proven to do anything at all. No, we can make no claims about this, but it's supposed to improve your, I think your joints, you know, your, your cartilage or something, your meniscus. Well, I don't see how really that can be repaired, but maybe this stuff goes in and, and, uh, maybe it's just jello pudding that's been condensed into a pill, but I take it. And I actually do feel like when I take it, I have less pain in my knee. Oh, Dan, this just, this, we just keep talking about this stuff. And I just hear us, and it sounds like a geriatric podcast.
1: Right. Like a couple old guys, you know, waiting for their turn, getting to get a haircut, reading the yeah. paper, and sort <laughs> of, you know.
0: what are you doing for your knees? <laughs> right. right. Oh, well, I'm taking this special one for the knees. The, the thing Ugh. that
1: is most shocking about the aging process for me, the part that was the most shocking is that it, w- it began to actually happen to me personally, mm-hmm. that it wasn't just like for other people. Um, that those those ri- apparently ridiculous things that would plague people ten or fifteen years older than me—that when I reached that age, I wasn't going to have those problems. Yeah, I'm not. That's that's like for you guys, not for me. But it's for everyone.
0: Well, and in our in our world, in our Judeo-Christian world here in the America. There's still that sense that that um, Calvinist sense that if you are sick or hurt or poor or in any way sort of uh, disabled by by circumstances of life, that it is because you deserve it, hmm. and when you're young. And you look out at the future and you see, like, um, people with disadvantages across a whole spectrum. If you're young and healthy, you have a kind of that built-in callousness of youth. And you think, well, I mean, you know, you're struggling to see when you get to middle age. You must have done something. You must have stared into the sun. You must have not, not taken care of yourself. And that whole thing, you see people on a rascal scooter and you're like, you probably didn't take care of
1: yourself. right? You did something really dumb that led you to, to be in this sorry state. It wasn't just, you weren't just alive on the earth. You or the time period that you were born in back then, you didn't have enough fluoride or whatever. And that's why you've got these problems. It's not aging. It's not being an older person. It's, Oh, you you did this thing or failed to do this thing that led you to this state that you're in now. And I'm fortunately I had the fluoride. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be there.
0: Well, but also Yeah, that you had the virtue. Right. <clears throat> and that for whatever reason the you know, you have fewer cavities than that person, it must be indicative of your virtue, right? Because Calvinism the idea of it was that good works did not get you into heaven. That God already knew who was going to heaven and who didn't, because of course this is their this was their solution to the problem of well, if God is omniscient, then how is it that He doesn't already know who's going to heaven, heaven and who's it's not predestination, right? Right. And so if you so God knows and it's only a very small group of people that are getting to go. So your good works, all your kowtowing, all your helping the poor, none of that will get you into heaven. However, if you are one of the elect, it is presumed that you would behave in a manner that befitted an elect. So of course you would help the poor out of just, be- because you're one of the elect you're, you are naturally good and so it put this reverse uh you know like pressure on people to behave in accordance with with this you know the sort of christian idea of of social good because you were trying to impress upon the people around you that yes you too were elect although if you clearly weren't elect, if you clearly were like a bad kid, you could pretty pretty reasonably say like, well, it's clear I'm not going to heaven. So anyway, Rumspringa. <laughs> uh, but in America, right, this is a huge part of uh, – this is a huge element I think in our – collective problem of seeing ourselves as as a group like a unified group of people who are trying to lift one another up and build a better society Mm -hmm. this idea that misfortune is deserved Mm -hmm. that misfortune is somehow a product of your own um, your own laziness or your own self- rot health problems or your your sort of criminality that came as a result of of uh, bad parenting i mean these ideas that that were popular in the 50s that have been discredited that you know if your mother didn't give you enough attention when you were a kid you became a homosexual because you craved her love or that if you were, if you weren't, if you were bottle fed instead of breastfed, right. it would end up that you became a, you know, a, a, a desperate crack junkie because you couldn't because the pipe was like a nipple. I mean, you know, there's a thousand <laughs> million right. things, right. right? That 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 try to put the onus on the individual and thereby deny them sort of a coll- the collective sympathy of the of their fellows and it's the justification the underlying justification for not providing welfare to the poor for not providing free health care to people for not providing for not providing for other people because because th- there's that there's that underlying sense that you deserve it and the the, and the problem is it's very hard for people to see that about themselves Um, which is why all the all the states in the united states that are the most opposed to welfare in general are also the states where the most people actually receive welfare Um, and you see this situation kind of playing out interestingly in the in the recent catastrophic rains down there in texas Mm -hmm. where you know the general liberal mentality is to always try and behave collectively help people you know the liberals do believe in collective action and so they're all uh all the liberal organizations are like help the help the the people of Houston are like the confusing ones to me are like, help the dogs. There are so many dogs down there that are getting swept out to sea. And it's always like, wow, help the dogs. But you know, dog owners, you can't talk to them. They definitely have, they definitely have their own worldview and I love them. (laughs) Listen, I (laughs) love dogs. I know you do. I love you dog owners. God bless you. Save the dogs. But there's also this feeling of schadenfreude, because Houston is a is although the center of Houston is a liberal oasis mm-hmm. like the center of everywhere Houston itself is a sprawling metropolis made up of deeply conservative people who all voted against public services who perceived government to be their enemy who probably i mean the famously ted cruz voted against uh, federal relief for victims of Hurricane Katrina but now is desperately clamoring for federal relief federal relief for the people of his own state you know it's just it's the story just recapitulates over and over it's always the same but that schadenfreude of like well here you are uh, a metropolis based on, uh, on oil the oil business uh, filled with millions of people that deny climate change is now being drowned by a massive storm and you know you there's that there's that sense of sort of feeling again that that calvinist righteousness of well you so, seems to us like you deserve it like this is a little bit of get back and it's a it it's a terrible it's a terrible feeling to be you know to have in the heart of someone whose natural instinct is to is to rush in to aid mm-hmm. people who are in need but i think it's a very american thread there are a lot of places in the world that have uh you know that have like independent free spiritedness as a part of their national culture, like the Australians and the New Zealanders, right? They have a, a real sense of themselves as frontier people, Australians, probably more. And obviously there are a lot, there's a lot of Calvinism in the European countries and they all are, they have it soaked in their, in their fingers too. the Dutch and Swiss and, and speckled parts of Germany and Sweden but here in the states, it has combined with that Scots Irish independence and created this culture of, you know, lack of sympathy for one another. Uh, and 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 it it it, um, it inhabits each of us so much so that I look at my own crumbling self. And really all I can do is have no sympathy for myself, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the, in that I look and look at my injuries and go, well, you shouldn't have X and you shouldn't have Y. And now look at you. Right. Now look at you. You should have the whole, this whole time you should have been right with God. And now, now you're sorry. It's just like, Jesus, have a little sympathy for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Go a little bit easier on yourself, dad.
1: We would like to say thanks to our sponsor at Squarespace. Make your next website with Squarespace. They've got beautiful award-winning designer templates that makes every site a joy to behold. You can create a beautiful website. You can make an online store. And it's the most beautiful way to present your ideas online. It's an all-in-one platform. And there's nothing to install. There's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. You don't have to worry about security. They've got all of that taken care of. It's got award-winning 24-7 customer service. Now you can even register your domain there. You don't have to go to a separate place. It's Really, when I say it's all-in-one, it means all-in-one. And everything is as simple as possible. You couldn't possibly dream of something easier. You can go from no website and no experience to squarespace.com, sign up, and in about five minutes, you will have your own website up and running. And then you can customize it. You can make it look the way you want. You can make it work the way you want. And that's all just using little sliders and clicking buttons. You don't need HTML. You don't need CSS. You don't need JavaScript. It's all baked in and well below the surface. Now, if you are a nerd like me and you want to get into that level, you can. They let you. But you don't have to. And that's the brilliant part. You can focus on doing the things that make you happy, that make your business more successful that help promote your band or your album or get your pictures out there or get your resume out there or whatever it is the site that you want to build Squarespace makes it absolutely simple to do and it's enjoyable too it's actually fun to use Squarespace I know I have several Squarespace websites and I keep making more of them because it's so easy to do and because I want to focus on other things Squarespace gives you your time back and uh, and that's a good thing. You can start your free trial by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, make sure to use the offer code Roadwork, one word, Roadwork, and you'll get ten percent off your first purchase. And you'll be showing support for this program. And don't forget, you may not need a website right now, but your friends might, or your parents might, or your brother or sister might. Someone you know probably does need to make a website, and they're dreading it. And there's no reason for them to dread it because Squarespace exists. So again, squarespace.com offer code is road work to get 10% off your first purchase.
0: Uh, well, yeah, it might be that these, that these, uh, miracle cat scans aren't that far away. I mean, the doctors do it to me. 10 years ago or longer, I went into an audiologist who gave me an ear, ear test, hearing test. Yeah. And he said, yeah, right up there around the range of the symbols, mm. uh, there's a big divot. Your hearing's pretty good across the, the main of it. Right up there where the symbols are, there's just a, a pretty big notch. And I was bummed because it was another thing that it felt like I was going to live forever until, oh, wait a minute there's a notch in my hearing and now I can't hear like it's not just that people are mumbling it's that I have a an area in my hearing that I damaged and I have friends whose hearing was really damaged by rock and roll yeah you know they lay in bed at night and they just listen to like high-pitched hmm Whistling. Uh, And I'm grateful that I don't have that kind of tinnitus, or, you know, there's no like what I I can lay in bed at night and and be fine, not hear and not be tortured. But this audiologist said, well, you know, it's bad uh, to have this, but, you know, in a couple of years, You know, I don't want to tell you, uh, I don't want to blow smoke, but in a couple of years, we're going to have the technology to rehabilitate those missing ear hairs. Right. And I said, really? You're going to be able to replace the ear hairs? And he said, well, you know, it was one of those like, Look, don't you know? Don't go buy stock in anything. But yeah, this is all this is all going away pretty soon. This whole this whole world of problems is going away because we're doing some serious research on this, and we're getting real close to you know he he was giving me this hope again that I could come into his office in what he seemed what he seemed to imply was just a few years and they would have they would have developed a technology where this was no longer an issue well I haven't heard that that technology's come around right I haven't no one has written a magazine article in Wired that says do you have hearing damage well that's no longer a problem it's one more thing like like polio that we have eliminated from the world But I'm holding out, I'm holding out that, that these, that these little things, I mean, you think about all the little things that have found cures that we don't think about anymore. I mean, even as miraculous as the cocktail of drugs that keep AIDS at bay. I mean, for 20 years, AIDS seemed like it was going to wipe us all out. Mm Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, I I have several friends who are living long and happy summer days, uh, managing their HIV. So I think that the I think that the happy story Dan is that there's going to be a tub of pink goo one day that they're going to be able to dip me in, and yeah, just, it won't be too late. Right. We won't be the generation that dies before it happens. We're because we're the generation of Elon Musk and whoever that creep is that that gets blood transfusions, whatever that tech creep is, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, some tech creep that
1: I know the one expenses, you mean. Why can't I? Can't,
0: money. Yeah.
1: Well, but, my my question for you is: at some point, the answer might be, and I'm I'm sorry I had to go back to this again. But I feel like the answer might be to transfer your consciousness into some kind of, Mm. Mm. you know, and I I see there being a number of different options. Perhaps Mm. your consciousness is put into a robot body. Perhaps it's just uploaded like in that Black Mirror episode. Perhaps it's just uploaded into like a virtual world where you can now continue to live. And to you, it's 100% real. And there's other people there, real people. But that it's it doesn't take place in a physical reality it's a virtual reality but that to you with your consciousness now uploaded that you continue to live in that way in maybe even forever in a in a world of your
0: making you know it seems very would you want either of those things would you want to do either well the it's, it's very easy for me to believe that there will come a time when your or my consciousness can be approximated. Mm-hmm. And also easy for me to believe that once that consciousness is approximated, it can be convinced that it is a contiguous consciousness. Right. But – it's very hard for me to believe that my actual consciousness can be ported into something so i i absolutely believe that it that it's possible that there will be a dan benjamin who lives in a um virtual state who inhabits an imaginary world that's very real to that Dan Benjamin and that, that Dan Benjamin thinks it is you. It remembers what you remember. You know, it, it can think back to it at the time that it lived in Austin, Mm -hmm. the time that it found a scorpion in the garage, Mm -hmm. you know, that it will have those memories, but will you, the current Dan Benjamin go to sleep and wake up there? Or will you go to sleep and then that thing wakes up? Right. Like the the current me would actually,
1: you know, die. Yeah. But then there is an, a, another consciousness or an approximation of that consciousness that would then go on living. Right. And it would, if you were to interact with that consciousness, you would have no way of knowing that it wasn't me or right. the same Dan that you're talking to now.
0: And it would think it was you. And
1: it would think it was me. But the actual me would be dead. Right. I think that's, you know, anytime, that's the thing that occurs to me anytime that I see someone, well, we uploaded his consciousness into the computer or whatever. You know, I I don't feel like it's the actual consciousness. It's a it's a duplicate. It's a duplicate that for the rest of the world is still, you know, John uploaded. But mm-hmm. for the the and this is the same thing with the clone. Like I've seen lots of things that are like oh, I've I've cloned myself so that if something happens to me, then the cl- uh, the clone has the latest all my memories and thoughts and everything and and it will wake up and take over for where I stopped.
0: The clone.
1: The clone. But the reality is that that's a separate being separate.
0: at that point. Separate being. Yep. It's, and that's a that's a thing that that's that does not satisfy me yeah i don't care about a separate being that lives on after me that thinks it's me i just have a kid if you want to do that yeah or just well my kid doesn't think she's me but no she's you know like screw that future consciousness why does it get to hang out
1: yeah you don't um, want that thing around
0: no if there if it was a possible if, if that was a possibility why wasn't i the imaginary future consciousness why well, what I have you need to, to
1: what you need to consider though because maybe you want to do that because you want to control that. And I'll tell you what I mean. Eventually, we will have enough technology to – it won't actually be necessary really to upload to upload your brain into some kind of computer so that we can have John Roderick in, say, 100 years from now. Mm-hmm. All we'll need will be enough record of you as you lived and i think with these podcasts we probably have more than enough to get close enough that we approximate you Mm -hmm. so that even against your will 50 100 years after you've passed on if we if someone wants john roderick and like wants to hang out with you or talk to you that they could just play through all these podcasts that you've done all the videos that you've done all the concerts and everything and been captured and Anything you've written, pictures of you spread across the world, compile these things together and create a close enough approximation, a composite, so that we now have our own John Roderick, even if you didn't want to do that. And anybody who's created enough writing or that we have enough information about through social media or whatever, that a personality construct could be made. And then other people who, even people I think who knew you could be fooled. I think there was a Black Mirror about this too. Have you seen that show, Black
0: Mirror? It's definitely a familiar theory uh, to me, this theory. So someone wants a new new John Roderick
1: song in the year
0: 2090,
1: they can have it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Boot up the John Roderick simulator and five new songs
0: pump out of it. Mm. New album. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to want those songs. The that John Rod, uh, John Roderick uh, simulator is not uh, is not going to be as good a songwriter. I don't think. That's just my that's just my guess, my my gut guess.
1: He'll but be fine, right?
0: He'll be fine at he'll it. He'll be all but, right. Yeah. Uh so So I'm not, you know, I'm not convinced. um, I mean, Dan, what is, who are we? What is us? There's no, nobody even really knows what time it is. Nobody even cares. Yeah. I can't imagine why there's not time enough to cry.
1: (laughs) Uh
0: Uh-huh. I mean, this is just unconscious knowledge. Yes. Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> what uh what what is uh from where you're standing there in Austin are you receiving a lot of um are you receiving a lot of like uh refugees from other uh, parts of Texas? A, that's a good question.
1: Um I haven't seen any mm-hmm. up here. But um I mean I'm there are a lot of people who have been displaced uh, in, in you know, southeastern Texas, not just Houston. I mean, there's a lot of other places that were affected. Houston's making the news because it's, what is it, the fourth biggest city in the country or something like that? It's a big city. It's a big city. So, of course, that's what people are talking about. But there's other places, Port Aransas, Port Arthur, other places that are in equally bad shape. So those people have to go somewhere, and they're not going south. So... It's very right. possible that they are here, um, but I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, am not seeing that. Like I went to the grocery store, and it, the same number of people were there, and, and the gas station was no more busy than usual. But they're coming. They're somewhere. I hope. Yeah, they're coming. I hope they're. But it's it's unbelievable, just unbelievable. What's going on? Uh, and the amount of water. But again, this is like, I'm used to that kind of, I mean, I'm not saying I'm used to treading through waist high flood waters, but I'm saying like, I'm used to the impact of a hurricane and been through many while I lived in Florida uh, and saw what they could do. And that's part of why when I moved from Florida, I said, I will not live in a place that is prone to, or, even has the potentiality of those kinds of things. It's not to say that we couldn't flood here. I mean, Austin areas have flooded from really bad rains, but by the time a hurricane reaches us here, it's, it tends to be less likely than a coastal city. But I mean, in theory it could happen anywhere. Right. But right. You know, I tried to pick a place that was less likely but I think there are a lot of people in Houston and those areas who, because it's been 12 years since the last time a hurricane hit Texas, and there are a lot of people who move from California to, because uh, that's where they come from. Move from California? Cali- yeah, they. Everyone in Texas is from California now. Interesting. And those people have never seen hurricanes, and they've moved to Texas long since there was a hurricane, and so they don't. They don't know what to expect and even for the people who i imagine were living there it was very confusing because you were getting mixed messages from local authorities and from the governor of texas each saying something different about whether to stay or or go evacuate and and still i mean with the unpredictability of a hurricane you really don't know where it's going to hit how long it's going to stay how much rain it's going to dump you know it's such a such a a, a difficult situation. And if they were to evacuate, well, you then have millions of people on the roads trying to get out. And that they tried that before with hurricane Rita and you had people, you know, spending days in their car, trying to get out and wind up running out of gas on the side of the road, and having to abandon their car. Like that's a disaster too. There isn't a right answer or wrong answer. It's all just bad. It's all just frustrating. And, you know, here in Austin, we've been lucky because we just got, we just got a couple rainy days out of it, but still people here were clearly freaked out because, uh, when my wife went, she went to a target to get some stuff, not hurricane related, just a regular old target run. And she said, all the water was sold out, all the water completely sold out in target in Austin, and yeah. she said she saw people at gas stations, just lines of people at gas stations, which in Florida was normal because we'd get a, a hurricane watch or a warning coming up and we'd be tracking the storm and say, well, it could hit here. So you, you've got to prepare. But here in Austin, like no, nobody was saying it would affect Austin, but they weren't specific. They weren't specific about what was going to happen and where it was going to happen. And because it's so occasional when, we get hurricanes here in Texas in Florida they people are already in a, a state of awareness of what a hurricane is and what to do and where, where to go and kind of how to prepare and, you know, and here in Austin, they issue these flood warnings. And that's true. We, we have flooding here. I mean, that, that happens. Whenever we get some serious rain, there can be some, some flooding. It's not flooding like they're having down there in Houston, but, You know, and I think people get worried about that and there's nothing specific. There's no specific information because nobody wants to, well, we told you it could flood and we didn't say where, so you all got to be ready for it. Well, that doesn't really help anyone, but then saying, oh, these three counties are going to flood. Then if they don't, people are angry because it didn't flood. It's a, it's a real frustrating situation, these hurricanes and they're getting worse and there's going to be a lot more of them and it's just going to continue to get worse. And my mom still lives in Florida. She moved back to Florida. And I'm telling you, one one's going to come through where she lives. It's going to be it's going to be bad down there. Fart has been real lucky recently, but I you track know, I, have, I track storms, John. That's that's the thing I've done since I was about ten or eleven years
0: old. I have never been in a hurricane. Don't have any real <clears throat> sense of it. You know that we get we get big storms up here, yeah. Uh, but we kind of don't call them. You know, we don't call them cyclones because we're not dramatic. <laughs> we just call them windstorms, and they come in off the Pacific Ocean, and they and there's crazy rain and there's crazy wind, crazy wind. But it's never like hurricane yeah and so sort of like tornadoes they're just really unfamiliar to us we don't have us we don't have any like i i really want to have been in a hurricane and a tornado i really want to like experience it and i kind of I I definitely feel like I would be one of the people that did not evacuate because I would feel like, ah, I'll ride it out. Ride out the storm. Right. You um, can. You but,
1: can do that. You just have yeah. to be very prepared for what that means.
0: Yeah. And that's. I'm not sure what I, I'm not sure I would know what it means.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people who don't don't know what it means i've been through a few of them and they're they're pretty rough and what's rough isn't so much what happens while the hurricane is passing over you it's 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 what's there after it's being without power uh or water for extended periods of time usually when it's very hot out usually when it's very humid out usually when the things that you normally think of as um necessities are harder to come by and things that are not necessities, but comforts are completely absent. You know, uh, I remember one time when I, I think it was, you know, it was a hurricane. I forget which one it was, but it was a hurricane when it hit and it very quickly became a tropical storm. And we lived about 45 minutes inland. And by the time that it got to us, it was a tropical storm. And so I actually got to do something I hadn't normally done when there was a hurricane, which is I got to go outside during it and really feel the wind and see what was going on. And I mean, even just a tropical storm is a huge, huge thing. Uh, and being, being through that, you know, you see pieces of your roof ripping off, everything floods still, you know, you're driving through the streets afterwards and it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's like small rivers going through it. All right, we had uh, we had a thing where our whole house started getting water inside of it, even though there was no flooding on the outside of the house. So if you were just to walk around the house, there was not water up against the house. But because we got so much rain, and there was wind behind the rain, and the builder had chosen to skimp on the kind of paint that they used. So instead of using a high quality paint, they used a low quality paint, and The I don't know whether you would call it stucco or concrete or whatever was on the outside of the house was supposed to be covered up by uh, by a, a, a layer or multiple layers of paint that would prevent water permeating it because it's I guess it absorbs. Well, what was happening was the walls, the external walls of the house were absorbing the water and that was actually leading to water intrusion in the house. And we weren't the only ones that had this. And, you know, we had to get these giant dehumidifiers, which were just sucking out tons of water all throughout the house. It was, it was a disaster, and it cost a lot of money, and it was incredibly inconvenient. And we had to, like, peel back carpet and everything else. It was really dumb. And, of course, we then had to, after it was all said and done, had to have the house painted again, even though it was a relatively new house. Mm -hmm. You know, and these are the kinds of things like you would never think, well, okay, the hurricane's a tropical storm now, it's just going to pass over, just dump some rain. Well, yeah, but then you get roof leaks, then you get water intrusion, you get all these other, I have friends here in Austin who just because of the rain that we got, they had, they discovered that they had roof leaks they didn't know about. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just crazy. And these things that you sort of just take for granted is like this stuff is just going to work when it doesn't work, you're very inconvenienced. Ever, these are these are nothing compared to what the
0: people in Houston are dealing with. Well, right. And they're underwater. It's yeah. as bad as New Orleans. Do you ever get like weasels? The animal? Well, yeah, like anything that you wouldn't expect, any kind of cryptozoological zoological thing to frogs fall from the sky or do you just, does it, when a storm is coming, do the weasels react differently is what I mean. Do they like do they s- start to migrate on mass?
1: no, nothing that
0: interesting, nothing
1: that interesting
0: the, well like so how do the how do the weasels behave a- in any different way? No they're do the, the birds same. stop singing
1: no, they're all the same, oh. they all act the same. It's you know like during the eclipse, all the mosquitoes started swarming out, but nothing really? like that yeah, oh. nothing like that happens during, uh, during a during hurricane things just won't they try to get out of there I think mm-hmm
0: mm-hmm. I, well, once I, mean, a, I once had had
1: a, a full size turkey land in my backyard though.
0: Well, see. So this is you're exactly answering the question a full size turkey. But it
1: wasn't related to the hurricane. It just showed up and then was gone. Was so really not weird. a
0: w- not a wild turkey. But no, like it was
1: a, wild. I mean, it, oh,
0: a wild turkey. I see.
1: I don't know where it came. From. I'm assuming it was wild. It could. It flew into the yard and then flew away. And that sat, that seems wild to me. It didn't approach.
0: If, yeah. If it flew. It's a wild turkey. Yeah. Because, like, a gobbler.
1: They don't fly because their breasts are disproportionately large for eating.
0: Yeah. And I think if one landed in your yard in the course of a storm, that is a very amusing image to me. Yeah. That a turkey, like a big 40 pound turkey, would be lifted up by the wind and for that however long period where it was. Where it was aloft, was thinking <laughs> to himself, I am the greatest turkey in history. <laughs> and then he landed in your yard. Oh. You've seen the you've seen my favorite internet picture of the comfort turkey looking out the window of the of the jet. It's like that turkey. Yeah. Only really on the wing. Comfort mm, turkey. Comfort Turkey. Yeah. Are are you, you you surely are familiar with that photograph.
1: Uh, I've seen the the support Turkey in, in the, like in the waiting area. And I've seen one where it's on a person's lap on the plane.
0: No, this is a comfort Turkey that has its own seat. Okay. No, I'm not, I haven't seen this and it's photographed sort of in profile, looking out the window of an, of a jet airplane in flight looking at the mountains below and it has a look of uh, that is sublime. (laughs) And I look at the photograph periodically and it just reminds me that there's joy left in the world. That somehow because of a confluence of different factors, this full grown Turkey ended up in an airplane looking out the window it uh it's a marvel. So I don't think it would be hard to find if you oh, if you look at that using the googs. Yeah. Uh we've been getting a lot of viewer mail lately I've noticed.
1: Yes, we have. I love that you're receiving it now.
0: Yeah, I'm I have some- I
1: have one here about juggalos. Should we address that?
0: Well, so this was the one from the fellow who said, uh listen, I'm not a juggalo. Yes. But I do listen to the Insane Clown Posse and think they're good. Sometimes, <laughs> yes, that's them. Not all the time. I don't like all their stuff. <laughs> Come on, let's be, let's not get crazy. But I do like a lot of the Insane Clown Posse. They are, they have good raps sometimes. Here's an example. Here's a link or two to some good ICP raps. Uh, and some acknowledgement that they are violent and misogynist. Yes, but I really liked. You know, the kind of deep dive into the culture that, that this uh, uh, person provided. And most of all, I liked that the world of podcasting, which is a world we inhabit, is such that it really truly brings people together from all walks of life. And yet we cannot fully know or appreciate that until we start talking about something obscure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I there I know there are people listening to this podcast who do not who had never heard of juggalos and when they were made aware of juggalos, they did not want to know any more about juggalos. <laughs>
1: right. Just the name was enough to sort of turn them off.
0: And there's also at least one person, and I know that one person represents many, many more people, who know all about juggalos mm-hmm. and either know all about them as a sort of a friendly witness or know all about them as a sort of, as a sometime fan or perhaps know all about them because they are super fans. I, I know a girl. I met her now 15 plus years ago. Um, and 15 years ago she had juggalo tattoos and she had them she claimed ironically like she had the screaming hatchet guy, hatchet clown murderer, mm-hmm. tattooed on her arm, and I'm wondering whether she didn't have another one on the other arm, like I'm trying to remember whether they were mirror image jungle tattoos. For
1: people this who don't know, this is a, this is like a little silhouette dude with crazy hair holding a little meat cleaver in a running pose.
0: Right. And she laughed about them like, you know, lol. But this is 2002 that she already felt comfortable with the widespread understanding of what a juggalo was enough that she could have made that commitment to either the joke of having juggalo tattoos when you are not a juggalo, or she had already been through a stage of her life where she had, where she was juggalette enough to get tattoos and then transition out of that life and into a life where she could claim that they were ironic. So, there are a lot of people out there who are probably reformed juggalos mm. who were 2002 juggalos and now are responsible citizens. Not to say for a second that juggalos are responsible citizens, but in the past, when I've talked about bronies, yes, I've gotten a lot of email from bronies, and I, I you know, bronies were in all the news. A couple of years ago i'm not sure if all of those people that were bronies then are still still identify as strongly as bronies now or maybe it was like yeah i was definitely very in bronyism i was definitely a brony but you know i'm sort of like still very friendly with the bronies but i wouldn't maybe describe myself as one anymore um i've talked about furries and I've heard from quite a few furries. And I do believe that if you are a furry, you may become less active. That seems much more a thing where if you have been, if you have turned to the corner and been a furry, perhaps you are henceforth always a furry. Mm-hmm. That just seems like a thing that you don't you don't back out of, I mean, maybe you go, you play around and you're like, yeah, I'm just experimenting. But that's very different from saying, no, I'm a furry. Right. Once you've done that, I, I, I expect that. I mean, just, just imagine like 85 year olds who have been furries for 50 years. Yeah. And they're, sitting there in their rocking chair, just imagining or talking about with their friends, talking about all those times and all those convention centers and hotel lobbies when all the furries gathered, peak moments. That really appeals to me. That feels like it should be a fiction, a scene that is fictionalized in advance. There's so many, there's so many scenes that i want to film and i and the hard part about making a movie is connecting all those scenes into some kind of cogent narrative because i really want that old folks home furry conversation to be part of a film but i'm not sure it's enough to sustain an entire film could be a short film right you know that might be a backdoor way into winning an Oscar because they give Oscars for those little short films. They seem really easy to make if you just like did it did it well. But you know, you know, it, it's not like you would need a million dollars. Could just do it, have it be a real like little set piece. Three 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 furries and a brony sitting around talking <laughs> right. about the good old days of two thousand. A nice documentary yeah fake a, a mockumentary. yeah uh, but I, but I'm always curious like what who the great silent majority of our listeners are. I know that there are a lot of tech people, right because it just podcasts appeal to tech people. Mm-hmm. There are people that listen to podcasts on a commute because they have made choices in their life where they drive for a long time. There are people that are like working at a workbench or a station or something where they're able to do their work with one half of their brain and listen to a podcast with the other half. I know there are people active duty military people. Do should
1: listening. we do some kind of a survey or something and like
0: Well, it's interesting but but what interests me is like is there a serial killer who listens to this podcast? Well, I don't want to know that. Well, that's the thing. That person's never going to say yes. They're not going to send me an email and go, "Ha, I am a serial killer." Because the thing is, you don't know what. I mean, no, none of us know like how many serial killers we've walked past. A lot of serial killers, you don't. You, there's not even any evidence of their crime yet. It's that their their crimes are only described in like missing persons statistics maybe you walk past them all the time maybe there's somebody that goes to your grocery store who is that guy the b t k killer in the midwest who was like a dog catcher or something just lived on a normal street with his normal family and that's how they are but, like, there are people listening to this podcast. Let's leave the serial killer part of it out of yeah. it. But le- there are people listening to this podcast who are living double lives, who have. Like, they have, sick- like, a family in one city
1: and then another family in another. And each each family thinks they're, like, traveling. Oh, I got to go to Nebraska for a week. Yep. And then they go in yep. there. Then they're living with their other family for a week.
0: That there could be some of that. There could be like living under an assumed name ho- every day, hoping the U.S. Marshals don't knock down the door. But there could also – I mean there are definitely people listening to this program who are currently living a lie. And they probably know who they are. There are some people living a lie who aren't even comfortable acknowledging to themselves that they're living a lie. That's how deeply they're living a lie. They can't even, they can't even say they're living a lie. And, you know, if we could just get all the people that listen to road work who are living a lie together in a room, wow, what a cocktail party that would be. That would be. Because, you know, they're all living a lie. So there's a there's who they are and then there's who they are. And you'd be standing there with a drink in your hand and some and like some bowls of snacks trying to carry trying to like connect and have and watch them try to connect with each other especially then if halfway through you were like the reason for this party is that everyone here is living a lie ha go the doors are locked (laughs) uh that would be (laughs) super fascinating yeah but like there are a lot of there are a lot of secrets people keep a lot of secrets people keep secrets they keep secrets for themselves from themselves Mm -hmm. and uh and so, like, there are, a, there are a ton of people listening to this show who are, who are interesting in their particular way. And I know there are a lot of people listening who are thinking to themselves right now, I am not interesting. I'm just a, I'm just a normal. Right. But, of course, you, you don't really think that. And also, no, you're already interesting. You're pre-interesting. If you, if you find this show even remotely interesting, you're already pre-interesting. But, but then there, are, there there are these other these other factors that I can't even get my hand wrapped around like all the different all the different permutations of psychologies that that you know in a way we have this access to this this unidirectional broadcast but you know people out there that are, and I imagine there are people out there who really desperately want to tell their secret to somebody, and people out there who really do not want their secrets known. What what is your relationship, Dan, to your own secrets? Hmm. Do you have? secrets and i don't just mean like where the key to your safe deposit box is but like you know general sort of uh things that you would not entrust to everyone but Hmm. that you would only entrust to a few people or things that you would not entrust to anyone um like what's your relationship to that
1: like things that i've had like in my life that like i don't want to Share with other people, or 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 because you're not talking about something like you know the combination to my safe, as stipulated, right? Right.
0: So I'm saying you know let's let's look at the word trust. Is that much right? I mean, trust is a word that we hear a lot, and there are a lot of people who don't trust other people. Trust is a really hard thing for them to establish. Sure, trust is a big part of. Um, you know it it, uh, trust or lack thereof is a major major factor in their deciding whether to interact with certain people or people at all and it's not just that they're worried that they're going to get hacked or that stuff's going to be put online Mm. you know like to whatever degree people listening to this show have uh like naked selfies on their phone that they don't want revealed. Right. It's this larger sense of like privacy and trust. And for me, a long, long time ago, I think I've probably described this to you before. I realized that for, for my own self, I had a lot of, I, uh, there was a tremendous amount of power in being completely open. Right. Because the more secrets you have the more vulnerable you are and I learned that from the Central Intelligence Agency. <laughs> right, of course. And so if you keep secrets then you're just then somebody finds those out and then they've got you over a barrel. So don't keep them. Don't keep secrets. Right. And that's not to say that I don't have that I don't have secrets. You know, from time to time, moments where it's like, well, this is a thing and it definitely is a thing that this person over here should not know about now. They'll know about it later. But right now, you know, and sometimes it's as small as like, there's a surprise party. (laughs) And other times it's larger where it's like, this person is not
1: ready to hear this or. See, I'm really, really bad at that. I'm really, really bad at keeping anything. Like if I buy my kid a present and I have to sit and wait on that for a week for their birthday or Christmas or something. Oh, I can't even, I can't even do it. I hate, I'm yeah, but, not good at that at all.
0: But what if it's a thing where,
1: I mean, I do kids, it, I do it for my kid, but like the,
0: I'm not really talking about the about your kid's birthday present as much as I am. Like, what if it's a, what if it is a secret where if it gets out, you're going to get in trouble.
1: I try not to have any secrets like that. I mean, well, that's just, it's like you said, like the CIA says, don't do it. So you got to listen to the CIA.
0: Oh no, the CIA doesn't say don't do it. The CIA wants you to do it. Oh, I didn't learn know. that from the CIA because they were like, listen, here's some tips to not get trapped by the CIA. The, I are you it a good? Because, are
1: you good at fibbing or, or covering something like that up? I'm not very no, good at
0: that at all. No, but there's, You know, there are lies of omission and lies of delight and lies of, uh, self protection and all kinds of lies. And my number one lie by a thousand percent is a lie of omission because there are a lot of things that I don't volunteer that isn't. And and what that means is that I don't have to confront them. And when confronted about them, I don't lie about them. Mm -hmm. I go, yep, well, that's true. You have either divined it or discovered it or whatever. But now, now we're living in a world where we both know this, where before it was a world where only I knew it. Right. And that happens sometimes. But lies of omission are tricky, right? because there are lies of omission that are, that, are, that are bad. Like, I see there's a steamroller coming that's going to run you over. But I don't – it's not my place to say something. Squash. I mean, it's, that's a bad example. But, but there are plenty of things where it's like, well, look, this is a thing that doesn't concern you. And you think it does or you wish it did or you want it to I guess that the last two are the same thing, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't in my estimation concern you. And so it's not a thing I'm going to, it's not a thing I'm going to introduce. But other than that, I'm not worried about trust very much. I feel that I trust people pretty quickly, that I trust a lot of people. I trust most people. And part of it is that I have a, I don't know, pretty realistic view of people. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't just hand my car keys to anybody. But for the most part, I trust people are 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 who they say they are, and I trust them with information about myself. Mm-hmm. I I prefer to go into situations where. The implication is we're going to trust one another. And I think I establish trust with people pretty fast. And some of that is you establish a rapport with somebody and you look to see what their reactions are. And you say like, oh, this person's reactions are um, in sync with where we are right now together. You know, if you meet somebody and you're like, hey, fella, I like your hat. And the person turns and goes thanks it's a good hat Mm -hmm. you're like right now we're talking in the same way to each other about the same thing this all seems reasonable you seem you've already indicated you're a reasonable person because when i said hey fella i like your hat you didn't turn and say what like right away (laughs) that's somebody that i don't i i have not established a rapport with i do not trust that person that's pretty obvious right right or do i know you like Do not trust you at all. If that's your response to, Hey, I like your hat. Do I know you? I do not trust
1: you. Yeah. You're out. You're
0: out. You're done. Like whatever world you're trying to protect, keep it. But the, but the challenge is like when you say, Hey, I like your hat. And the person looks over smiles shyly or not, or stares at you blankly. Like what now? I mean, the, I think one of the biggest problems in dealing with other people is when they give you no information back. But I know a lot of people really, really struggle to to trust others, and I'm not sh- I, I, I'm not sure what the antidote to that is because I really don't think psychologically, at least. I mean, a psychological fragility is a, is a thing I, I, I know a lot about. I should maybe know enough about to, to not be as confused by it as I am, but I still am confused by it because I don't, it's a, it's a thing I don't suffer from, you know, like I don't fall apart and I don't feel under siege in particular by other other minds and I, I've known a lot of people that do and that have that that have that fragility and I have a lot of like personal love and affection for them and fragility or and uh, and sympathy for that but it's a it's like it's like a lot of things in the in the mental world if you don't suffer from it yourself it's very hard to understand at a, at a deep level like what it actually feels like and how difficult it is to step one step out mm-hmm. of it because from, from in it, it feels so real. And from outside of it, you're like, well, just take one step to the left or right and you will be free of this because it only makes sense in that tiny little bubble that you're in. If you step over here or over there, if you think about it's just slightly differently it, it none of it makes sense but th- that's true of so many mental illnesses and that's the that one step to the left or right is a thousand miles wide when you're when you're there so i think a lot of my freedom passing through the world comes from the fact that i don't feel I don't have issues of trust. I don't need to trust most people. I don't put myself in a position where I need to. If I do want to, I trust people right away. And I've, there've been a couple of people that screwed me over that guy, uh, that dingaling that scammed everybody a couple of years ago. Which one? Uh, Casey Anderson. The guy that was on Twitter, he was a Seattle guy and put a band together, and he was oh yeah he got really yeah. good on Twitter. And then then he it turned out right he was you told just me about that yeah con artist. I mean he didn't like scam me out of anything, but he had me believing that he was a normal, and I was just as shocked as anybody when it was gradually revealed that he was a he was conning everybody, and it was one of those cons where a lot of. He, didn't get anything out of me. I mean, I think he had, he cons all the time just in case, right? Just in case I, there was a moment where he was like, I need 50 bucks, but that, that stuff. I mean, there was a guy in Istanbul when I got to Istanbul at the end of my walk, I was sitting in the main square there by the Hagia Sophia. And a guy came and sat down next to me and started talking to me and he was charming. And we spent the afternoon together. He was Palestinian and from about five minutes in, it was obvious to me that he was a confidence artist. He was trying to get – by. he was investing all this energy in me because he was trying to get something. And he was fascinating, super interesting, well-read, uh, had been around – he was fluent in English. He was living in Istanbul. What did, really, he, what did he want? Well, it wasn't clear, right? He was. He was it, it was a long con. He was roping me into his world. And his world was very much about being from Palestine and so not able to live there, a refugee who was now in Turkey after a long and involved journey. But he wasn't telling it to me as a sob story. We were just two guys sitting on a park bench and I probably looked like a Western tourist. And so he was like, Hey, what brings you to Istanbul? And I had just arrived, right? I'd just walked into the city. Got in a hotel room, put my bag on the bed, and walked out and sat down in the public square right, as, a, right. and as a form of like, well, here I am. I made it. I made it all the way to here. He came and sat down next to me. Hey, what's going on? Well, you know, I was dirty. I'm sure I smelled to high heaven, but I still looked like a a blonde guy in a straw hat. And, you know, there are a lot of uh, blonde Turks because of their long history in the Balkans. So it's not just blondness. I could have been one of those Bulgarian Turks that you hear so much about. But he ran it like a conversation. And when I said, well, I just walked here from Amsterdam, he was well versed enough in the world to appreciate that, to ask me salient questions, to be appropriately like um odd. And so it was a case of fast friendship. I I thought he was who he said he was. And I liked him immediately. And I think he liked me. And yet I knew that there was a, that the subtext here was that this friendship that we were building was going to come at a cost somewhere down the road. Yeah, And I went into it just super glad because I was so glad i was so glad to be there so glad to have a friend even like my friend uh, my new friend who's here to try and scam me uh-huh. <laughs> who cannot possibly know what's going on in my head right now sitting here in Amsterdam or I'm sorry Istanbul and so I did I spent several hours with him just sitting and making this, making this conversation. And we were debating the global politics and we were arguing about Palestine and we were talking about pan Arabism and we were, you know, sort of making all these sweeping declarations at each other. And it was, it was impassioned and it was, it was smart and fun. But eventually, as the sun started to set, it was time for him to pull the trigger. And I think it was, I think he understood that if I'd been a little bit more, or if I had been a little less savvy, that he could have turned this into a multi day con, right? If I had said, look, I got to go to bed, but you know, what are you doing tomorrow? He would have absolutely made a date with me the following day. Like we, we were friends, but he was, and and, and I think he was then reluctant to execute his scam, but he had never, the scam had never been far from his mind at the same time he was surprised that he found somebody that was interesting but he also was out here for a reason right using his personality using his charm and his intelligence to earn a living and so you know here came the here came the the last card which was i need help to and i forget what it was bring my son here from Palestine or I need help to bring my mother here from Palestine. Mm. Some kind of, of, uh, very true sounding and potentially even true heart rending need Mm -hmm. that he had. And I'd been waiting for it. And when it came, you know, I chuckled and he was offended that I had chuckled.
1: You chuckled because you, at that point, had you what you predicted by seeing through him had come to pass.
0: Well, just because I was indicating, look, we both know that this has been what this is all about. Right. We both all day have known. Right. That it was going to culminate in this. So, you know, you don't have to do the like. I hate to ask you this story. The, you know, the falling down and like, you, we're such great friends, I hate to burden you with this part. You can just say, you can just say your thing, say your piece, say that you need a fan belt or whatever it is that your script, has, you know, the script that you tabled several hours ago and now you're re- returning to. And I said, look, you know, you want whatever, some large amount of money to help get your person out of wherever. And I don't have that. And there's no way I would give it to you, but I do feel like I should compensate you for your time Hmm. because we've had a lovely day and you could have been using this time to rook some, indiana tourist right and so you know i'm gonna give you and i I think it was 50 bucks which at the time to even to me who had been living on pennies a day it seemed like a lot of money sure and in turkey at the time was plenty of money it's 50 bucks it's not it, it wasn't breaking the bank but it was like it was adequate for the day and he was asking for $900 or something like that because he needed all this help. And a lot of times I'm sure you encounter somebody on the sitting in front of the Hagia Sophia who's like $900. Sure. Make sure they send me a letter. I gave him 50 bucks and he was disappointed, but also You know, kinda shrugged and acknowledged, like, yeah, all right. I should have known a long time ago that I wasn't gonna get nine hundred dollars from you. And yet and yet here I here I am still. And in most cases when someone is running a game like that, Mm -hmm. you see it, you see it a long way out. And when when they're using their their charm and their smarts and their gift for connecting with people when they're using them in that way. And and you want to, you want to feel like squandering those talents. There's something about it that hurts because that connection is so rare for most of us that you meet somebody and feel right away like they get you and right away like they are on your team. And it's why those con artists are so effective because they're able to bring that feeling and, and they, and they have, it's, it's a gift. It's truly a gift to be able to do that. It's just that they use it wrong or they use it instead of, I guess I guess use it in a way that that would seem benign, which is just to make people feel better in the course of a day, right? right? I mean, if you have the ability to to sit and talk to somebody on a bus for twenty minutes, and when you part company, they feel better. That feels like a pretty good use of that ability. And to to part company with them and have scammed them out of fifty bucks seems like a pretty small yeah way to use that talent. I think it was pretty
1: nice of you to give him anything at all.
0: Well, I mean, you know, I knew it was a scam and I was happy for his friendship and he knew that I knew that it was a scam and yet he didn't break off and and there would be something churlish about saying, well, buddy, I knew it was a scam all along and go take a flying fucking a rolling donut. You know, that, that feels like the type of thing that you would do in a moment like that to demonstrate your own superiority. Mm -hmm. Right. To, to say like, you didn't, you didn't get me with your scam scumbag, but He surely, with all of his talent and intelligence, is not standing out in front of the Hagia Sophia running scams on tourists because life has dealt him a superior hand at cards, you know? Right. He's not doing that because he wants to, presumably. And, you know, that's true of most thieves, People sometimes, somebody like Casey Anderson, who just is pathological, harder to explain. I don't know. I'm, I'm leaving here now and I'm going to go to a, a meeting, a, a team of people over at the Seattle Center who contacted me not very long ago saying we're trying to open some clinics where intravenous drug users can use not just needle exchange, but like a place where they can safely shoot up and there's a medic there and it's clean and well lit and there is drinking water and it's safe. You're not under a bridge. Nobody's going to stab you. It doesn't. The clinic does not provide the drugs, although I think it probably should. So you still have to go out and cop somewhere. Mm -hmm. But then you can come back to this place and it has clean needles and it has stuff that – it has resources for you. And they've opened one of these clinics in Vancouver and it's reduced overdose deaths by some astronomical percentage, right? 80 or more percent of of OD deaths – are just gone because if somebody ODs in this space, there all the equipment is right there. The people are there, and it seems I think to a lot of people counterintuitive because of that Calvinism, that feeling like you're you're enabling them, or why should people be, why should there be public funds directed at these low who are shooting up, or all those other feelings about. Like, well, you shouldn't you shouldn't provide that service to people unless they are seeking treatment or unless they are seeking Jesus or unless they meet the following twenty five requirements, unless they sign up for fifteen different IDs or whatever. And anyway, this group of people is doing this and they want me to be part of their campaign to support it. And it's incredible how difficult it is to convince a large number of the people in America that a thing like this is just a clear benefit, a clear benefit to them. It isn't perfect. It doesn't solve every problem miraculously, but it doesn't punish people unnecessarily, and just from a cost-benefit analysis, like it's cheaper for the city than it is to send ambulances around and pull people that are ODing out from under culverts and take them to the emergency room over and over until they finally die. But, but it relies on convincing the majority of the people that you shouldn't punish junkies. Right. For getting high. And that the solution to junkies is not just to make life really hard on them. And that's a, it, it seems to me like is a real clear dividing line between people of one stripe and people of another. Because I think that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. Even good good meaning intellectuals in the world they're you know like like hyper educated people still believe that there should be some contingency some requirement that those junkies be treated you know that there be somebody there lecturing them or that they have to go to an aa meeting or something other than just here's a clean, well lit space, well lighted space. I guess come in, sit down. I mean, we're not building an opium den here. It's not like there's a bunch of <laughs> fluffy couches and TVs, but it's right. a, it is a place where you can shoot up. It's clean and dry. You know, get a cup of water, and uh, and if you OD, like people will have their eyes on you. It's really, really hard to convince people that that isn't like just a good, just like an overall positive step for everybody involved, for the city, for the junkies themselves, for the you know, for the whole community, because it doesn't have a um, whatever the, the visible benefit is it doesn't immediately outweigh what this what incites this indignation on the part of people why does he just get to sit around drinking beer while i have to work is the is the basis formulation of it right and the, and it's so funny when you extend that to intravenous drugs why does that person get to sit around addicted to heroin Copping on the street Mm -hmm. while I have to work. It's like, wow, really? I don't think you would trade.